Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, it is an exciting time today here in West Point, Mississippi. We've got a young lady that is – this is her first trip to the Mossy Oak headquarters, Toxic. Uh, what? I did not know that. We've wow. Been, huh. It is. And we've been dealing with her a long time. Yeah, we've yeah. been close for a very long time. I mean, I, I will say I was wait till the right time I say it now. As you reminded me about this day, and I've – all around the company, different people have had interface with, especially my son, Daniel. And – it's, I mean, I'm not saying that anybody has that many faults or whatever that we had on here. I don't mean that it's a sliding bias, but I've never at any angle had anybody have anything but great things to say about her and her work being brilliant, too. So Absolutely. I've been I second that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's like, you know, when you walk, <laughs> yeah, but when you walk through life yeah, and you leave a trail of goodwill like that, it's so special. So. Anyway, yeah, well, just to so, head that up, I've never had anybody that everyone sang the praises of that so, I ran into. And it doesn't matter whether it's Dr. Chamberlain or someone within the company or someone at the that's right. NWTF or wherever, you know. Yeah, so, so, so looking forward to this. Welcome, Tess Jolly. Yeah, Let's, thank you. Absolutely. It's an honor to be here. I didn't know it was going to be quite as embar- not embarrassing, but <laughs> well, you're blushing. <laughs> I am. I'm blushing. I'm sorry. Yeah. But well, thank I mean, you. I appreciate it you, very much. You deserve the credit no for doubt not about just it. your work, which you're pretty famous for now, but the way you've handled yourself. Because I'm pretty bad. To, they, they get on to me kind of preaching. I don't want to be preaching about it. But when someone is a great example, that's not really preaching. That's just shining a light on goodness. That's all I was getting at. There you go. Yeah. Well, let me just kind of back up just a little bit and set kind of set the stage. This is the first time we've ever podcasted, and maybe this is 203 or 4. It's definitely over 200. That Toxie has beat Lanny. Now, I, I thought I had the time wrong when I looked in the studio. <laughs> Dudley was even here. Dudley was here, too. So it's for the people out there, there's an old saying from 35 years ago, maybe or so, meetings or whatever, and then I would be like five minutes late, and people would kind of frown, and then – Bill or somebody would say, what are you talking about? Toxie time, he's 10 minutes early. Yeah. <laughs> so they became a buzzword when someone's late. He's on Toxie time. So yeah, Lanny mm-hmm. was on Toxie time. I was a time. couple, yeah. Was well, so, you know, usually we talk about uh, blood on the biologic, but Alabama and maybe some places in Mississippi and I think maybe even uh, Louisiana, uh, by now deer season is out. February 10th ended it. Yeah, just just everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so now we can totally turn well, the page. I mean, 
we may not be seeing people harvesting wild game, but I mean, I'm seeing folks out there with their kids doing burns and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. running trap lines. Yeah. Oh, Gamekeeping is speaking yeah. of blood on the biological blood on <laughs> blood on the top. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Hunter's wife got a deer. She That's did. some oh, blood she? on the biologic. First, first deer ever. Yep, nice. Got an eight point at Shimola with us. Oh, good deal. Oh wow. It was exciting for her. Really exciting. I didn't realize. I think her dad used to work for like the Forest Service. And oh, so really? I didn't realize. I thought he was just trying to kind of get her to go and all. But she took to it like a veteran. Is she Canadian? Yes. How about that, Allie? Go, Allie. Congrats. Yeah, about it. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the way you communicate there, Dudley. He's uh, texting. <laughs> old school style. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Cute but but we're so, my point is we're just so excited to finally turn the page and just mm-hmm. we can really focus on turkeys. And, and we're, we're located, we, you know, we get the benefit of the late February season. Mm-hmm. We can take advantage of that. And so a lot of people up in the Midwest, are, they're all, they've been thinking about turkeys for a while. And we've been thinking about them, but we still have. We always think about them. We still had deer on the brain. Yeah. Well, a little bit. They, the the warm weather in the late late season is makes it just terrible. Right. I mean, just that seventy something degrees last week. It was just yeah. dead, dead, dead. So I, I you know, but I, we've had fun for years. We when it was the last week of January, it was the last of the season. Or now, you know, that first week of February, we've always fun, kind of fun, called it Meat Week mm-hmm. because you know, a lot up. of people hadn't had much luck, and we just go simply to try to kill those or whatever we could, you know to make sausage and hamburger. So it's been fun. Takes the pressure off. We're not necessarily chasing down that one, you know, big one we found a picture of or whatever the case is and just go have fun and celebrate the closing. So we did close it out. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's it's such a long season. It's kind of a, a little bit of relief when it – 100%. 1,000%. Yeah. Love to see it come yeah. and then love to see it go. Of course, then, I mean, we're only, what, four weeks out from youth ter- third – Three or four weeks out from oh, turkey season. It's like not even that long. The yeah. youth in South Florida is like in less than two weeks, maybe. Yeah, the McKillers are going down there. For oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah the whole I think crew. it's the last weekend in February, actually, yes, for way south, you know. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a – and I'm sure a lot of y'all are like this, too. Uh, that window between deer and turkey, you were all excited about turkey. Well, I'm kind of already having fun. Like, turkey season's too. already here. Oh, 100%. It's we, actually we almost – it's more fun sometimes because you don't have that pressure to go or take people all the time or whatever the mm-hmm. case when it gets so busy and – for me, unfortunately, you know, people plan things I have to go do, and I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather be a leaf in the wind. I'd rather Soccer. be a leaf in the wind. Y'all know me. Uh, or, or a recluse, either one. But, you so know, both. Just get up and listen to them, and i tell you what, they have squirrel season still open. Yeah. yeah. Spring, that's right. I mean, it's looking fun. for scratching, and I mean, I, I consider that turkey season. I mean, I, I can't carry a shotgun, but. I know we talk about I'm it out in the morning. woods having fun. <laughs> I want to hear what she has to say, but when I've yeah. said this forever, yeah. I'm consistent. When I can go out and the mornings are to the point where they're not quite there here. No. Because uh, Neil was down there and he's like, I said, you're wasting your time. The front just came through. It's cold. You, and he went and listened. He didn't hear anything. But when I know I can go get up and I can go hear some, I'm at peace. Well, Tess can talk about that a lot because yes, she's absolutely. not. I mean, her her season doesn't really run out. She no. has she has no season. <laughs> yeah. No. So yes. Yeah, look, why don't we start with? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We we we've been dealing with you and 
and using your photography mm-hmm. for the Mag- Gamekeepers magazine Forever. for years. And we, you, anybody that reads a hunt magazine has seen pictures, especially turkeys that you've taken and deer. But tell us a little background about you, if, if you don't mind. Let's start there. I didn't kill my first turkey until I was in my late 30s. We always hunted hogs. My dad took me hunting, you know, smuggled me into a men's only hunt club and named me Harvey. <laughs> uh, and told me not to smile at anybody when I was nine years old. So I, my hunting uh, and interest started really young. And my dad always had a camera. He was a self-taught photographer and recorded all of our uh, hunts and all of our activities and all. So I had a camera in my hand when I was young. I had a little Kodak 110 Instamatic that had the little bulbs in a square. Oh, yeah. That flipped those. around when you took the pictures. So I took pictures of our, our hog hunts uh, and fishing and everything that we did. Um, so I've, I just continued that all through my life. I've had a lot of careers in my life from lab tech for a blood bank to raising racing greyhounds with my family for about 30 years. And then when I met Ron Jolly uh, at an NWTF convention in Atlanta in 95, uh, Everything kind of turned. I was getting out of the Greyhound business. And when we got married, uh, we started videoing together. And I just, I liked the videoing, but I, I wasn't as crazy about it as I was about still photography. And through him and Primos, um, I met Paul Brown. And I think all of y'all know Paul. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really He's well. A super good friend. He was my first mentor. Wow. And he encouraged me. He's a good um, one. He said, you know, you've got all the talents and gifts from being a hunter to do for wildlife photography because it's wildlife photography is hunting, but you're just hunting with a mm, camera. No you know, doubt. that's your weapon. Your shutter's your trigger. And the good thing about it is you get to recycle the wildlife. And I think that was, you know, that's a big thing to me because I do, I love to hunt, but I also like the thought of being able to go back and shoot more photos of the same animal. So anyway, Paul sold me his, his lens, one of his old lenses, came over to the farm, spent some days with me, showing me some basics and all. And that was back when we were shooting slides and, um, got me started on it and the, and the bug hit me hard and Jolly went to work for the DCNR and I just found my way. Uh, a lot of it just kind of God just opened doors mm-hmm. and put people in front of me. And w- the big door that opened was white Oak plantation. That's in our area hired me to be their first woman Turkey guide. And by then I had been Turkey hunting a friend had taken me in Alabama when I moved down there, and the first hunt, he yelped up this little black, probably weighed 17 pounds, true eastern, down in Mossy. the swamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it nearly <laughs> ran over me. And I mean, I was like, he said, you better shoot it. He's going to be in your lap. And I was hooked from there. It was like, I love this, you know, getting so close to him and, and being able to communicate. So... I had been hunting for a while and met the Pittmans, their shirt tail relation to me. Uh, and Bo said, I need a woman to, hi- to guide. 
And I said, well, I'm not really a seasoned turkey hunter. He said, you know how to move around in the woods? I said, yeah, pretty pretty much. Uh, you can lose me in a mall, but you won't usually lose me out, you know, out in the woods. <laughs> so he hired me, and I worked there for about three years. And I met so many good people in the business, editors and reps and writers, um, and they opened doors Jim and Sherry Crumley, mm. Jim Spencer, Jim Cassida, Aaron Pass, you know, all of these great people in the in the outdoor business. And they started reviewing my work and I just would give it to them and say, hey, tell me how I can get better. And it just evolved from there. I just kept trying and kept shooting. And it's like Paul said, he said, you just got it. You get out there and you shoot and shoot some more. Mm. So, uh Companies like Moss Yoke and, and all the others that have taken my work have been that process of putting people in front of me to help me make, you know, to be better at what I do. And when God gives you a gift, you know, that's what drives me. And I know it's what drives all of y'all. I hear y'all mm. say it. And that's what um, is closest to my heart is being able to share mm. what God created. And being out in nature is being in his presence so that's what's brought me up up to this point and i i love it amen no doubt about it. that's a good story see these people when the clock strikes five it's not the end it's just the beginning they have to do these things they have to do those things enter the all-new ls tractor mt2 and mt2e a relentless force of innovation Redesigned with a new hood and cab built for comfort and visibility, with enhanced lifting capacity to get the job done. Making these people the ones everyone else calls those people. Visit your local LS Tractor dealer today. Moultrie was first in feeders since 1979 and is the leader in total game management. They're taking feeding to another level with the new Ranch Series line of durable and versatile feeders perfect for both wildlife and domestic livestock. So Dudley, you can feed your goats. Whether you're a deer hunter, a hobby farmer, a land manager, or a rancher, Moultrie has you covered with several kit options including a rotating auger, broadcast, or a gravity kit. And these feeders are 300 or 450 pounds. They're big feeders. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultriefEeders.com. Use code MOSSYOAK with a capital M, MOSSYOAK, at MoultriefEeders.com and get that 15% discount. How did you uh, enjoy being a guide? Man, I loved it. I, I never had, in three years, I never had any man, and most of them were men, um, ever treat me like he didn't think he wanted to be, you know, traipsing through the woods and around water moccasins and everything else. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was really a great experience. I don't know if, if, uh, if other women, I know there's women that kind of look at hunting as a competition, you know, but I just never looked at it that way. My dad just wouldn't let us ever try to compete. And, um, uh, it was probably one of the most memorable three years of my life was getting to hunt with some some of the most notable people in the in the business, but then just everyday people. I, I got most of the kids and I got what women came through. And uh 
nearly got shot by one of the women. Oh, <laughs> that was the closest I ever came to being in a bad accident. But uh, the Pittmans were, ran a really good operation, and there were lots of turkeys then. That was back in the mid-'90s. And, uh, you know, we had our pranksters. We had our fun. And, uh, unfortunately, Bo Pittman uh, had a bad timbering accident last October. Mm. And uh, he's not here anymore, but mm. uh, that was that was one of the best experiences I could have ever had. That opened so many doors. But oh, Bo it, wouldn't let you walk run, drive anywhere on that twenty thousand twenty one thousand acres he had leased. You had to walk in from the road. So uh, he didn't believe in scaring turkeys. You were on the list if you scared turkeys and made them fly. So <laughs> you had to. Pull your weight when you when you took somebody in a spot that he gave you. You had to walk. That's that's interesting. There's probably a good lesson right there. Yeah, I think <laughs> it adds to the experience if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, it it does. It it teaches you more about woodsmanship. And I love technology so much that we have nowadays. But I think it's it's pulled some of us a little bit away from the real experience of the outdoors, and that's getting out there. And spending time. And as a photographer, I don't, I haven't had to give that up. You know, I spend a lot of time out there, but I see some people that rely a lot on technology uh, to find a turkey or find a good spot. And, and time is a lot of the issue nowadays. People are spread so thin, but um, I just think the woodsmanship is a big, big part of of turkey hunting, one hundred no doubt, yeah. And, and and the people that teach that to others, uh, I, I think there's a, just a, it's a special place for those people because that's a. Oftentimes, you can be be, be a little selfish and say, "Well, I'm not going to show somebody. I learned this the hard way. I'm not going to show them that." But the ones that'll take a little time and share stuff mm-hmm. with others, there's yeah. Turkey hunters tend to be a little selfish. I mean, I am. I, we want to kind of keep those special spots and yeah, those special I, birds. I'd like to think of it as more insecure. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, but um, it is. It's. I think it's the one game animal that it's a little bit, you, you get, uh, and I confess to being selfish, like with the bird lover boy that I've photographed for six, seven years. I didn't want anybody knowing about him. Right. You know, I really didn't because the experience with a turkey is just so unique. Um, there's just so much more to it that people might miss if they don't pull the trigger. And I enjoy seeing what turkeys do. So I get to see a lot of the stuff that maybe the average hunter doesn't really know turkeys do. And if anything, photography will teach you so much about their habits. And there's nothing in stone with turkeys. We all know that. I mean, mm-hmm. they'll make a liar out of you every time if you do and yeah. say ne- an absolute about them. Never you know? trust them. Never trust them. Never yeah. say always or never yep. when you're yeah. talking about turkeys. So you make a good point because a lot of times, you know, as soon as we finally get to see the bird, he's maybe mm-hmm. in range and, and we, we kill him. And, uh, and then that moment's kind of over with, and you don't get to see what would have happened. Mm-hmm. And you're saying you get to watch all that through the lens. And yeah. So what are some of the things that you've noticed that most people miss? Well, if you're – I think – I don't use decoys a lot, but I have found that 
like an old bird late in the season that the hens are out are off incubating and all, and he's lonesome. He's still got the testosterone and up and all. I have photographed and spent times with long beards that will stay until after dark, standing on the back, on a turkey's back, on a mm-hmm. deke's back. Mm-hmm. They'll they will not give it up. And I wrote a piece for um, I think it was Gamekeepers. Um, it's a great magazine. That love is it blind. Is. Uh, ah. when Jolly came to pick me up, I told him, I said, this, this bird is not leaving. He's been on this decoy, just zoned in. And I said, just pull up. It's a 300 foot, I mean, 300 yard long food plot. And I said, just ease up in there and, and he'll see you and he'll move off. I don't want to scare him, but just ease up there. Well, I was down about 250 yards from where he pulled into it at dusk in a gray silver uh, SUV and that old bird's out there in front of me and he's just he's all bowed up he's just <laughs> staring at that hen he's been there for an hour and he he peck her head you know and he walk around and he just kept easing up and easing up and easing up and I've got photos of him with the SUV and the hunting house the turkey and the decoy and the end of my camera all lined up and we're not 40 yards apart and that bird finally, after about almost a minute, he he went he strutted around her and he come around where he could see him good, but he just folded up and you know took one last look at her and walked off. And I, I you know I think they can get in such a zone, and I think that helps you a little bit in turkey hunting too. That if they're focused on a hen or whatever, there's times that you can move and times you you can't move but the um they're just an amazing you know an amazing bird and i i have so much respect for the hens because they have that big burden of trying to hatch off a nest and brood you know their little ones up to three weeks when they can get off the ground and and then get them on through the summer that um I, I just, I really have a soft spot for hens. They're they're an amazing little creature mm-hmm. that can withstand what they do. Just like that eight and a half inch rain. If that had been when they had a nest or whatever, mm. Um, mm. then they've just got to think about starting over. She's referring to her backyard. I don't know if y'all <laughs> saw it, but uh, you can see like lawn chair, the tops of lawn chairs sticking up out of the water. Uh, oh, on- on your pier and stuff like that yeah that yeah we had eight and a half inches of rain and uh it was in 36 hours yeah night before last so but the tur and i saw the the local flock that morning and they were like a bunch of wet buzzards i mean (laughs) just as wet as you could get a turkey and it is so interesting to me how, uh, and we were hitting on this earlier, you know, a hunter pulls the trigger and then, uh, I don't want to say the fun is over, but, uh, you're, you're definitely, uh, dealing with a, a different chapter at that point. But, mm-hmm. uh, when you're holding a camera, uh, and you pull the trigger, that Turkey's most, most of the time still going to be there. So yeah. you've learned a lot, uh, along the way, you know, we tend to do that as deer hunters. Now we don't, we don't always just pull the trigger as soon as that buck steps out. And, uh, you know, that's so cool that you get to see some grunting and chasing and stuff that mm-hmm. we never saw before. 
So what what are some things that you've seen that, uh, I mean, I know you've seen a lot of cool stuff, but what are some really cool things that you've seen that had you pulled the trigger, you, you know, you wouldn't have seen? Well, you'll see other turkeys come in. Uh, and you learn a little bit about the signals, too, that they behaviors that they do. And I think there's one behavior that uh, is kind of interesting. And I don't know, you guys might have seen it before, but if that if there's a long beard in there and all of a sudden he'll stand up and, and he'll his tail will start bouncing kind of like a songbird. And, it, and sometimes he'll whine. And there is another Turk, there's another gobbler usually hmm. somewhere. He's he's seen him, and they'll they'll um, they'll. It's it's the signals they give you in that high head. I call it high heading. When I've got a gobbler in front of me, and or several gobblers, especially Jake's. Jake's will do it too. But there'll be hens that I don't see, but they know they're there long before they ever get there, and they'll put that head up. You've seen them point their head up like this and stand just as tall as they can, and they almost don't even move. They just get like statues, and that beat goes up, and pretty soon there's going to be hens hmm. coming out. Um, and that's just a that's a signal that you know there there might be another gobbler coming too, like and you might turning, get to see a fight. It's like they're you know? turning their radar on. It know? is, and the the jakes they're. I call them jerks sometimes. <laughs> Thugs. Uh, they are the most fun because you can mess with them with the call, which I typically uh-huh. just use my voice because I want both my hands ready with the camera. But um, we've got a Jake at the house now that's got the loudest, most off-key Yelp. You'll see it on social media here pretty quick. Um, but they... Like when you hear Jake yelps and you can't see the turkeys, when they're standing around me, and you, you've probably seen this, y'all have been in the woods enough, but they'll do that when a gobbler does a spit and drum. That's right. Calkin, we talked about it. Yeah, Calkin. That's what it is. And they'll, they'll, they'll let me know that there's probably a long beard. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, you know. Here comes the the bunch, but that spit and drum just does something to a Jake, and and he'll just give that. It's just yeah, it's like an electrical charge. Yeah, it's, a, it's like <laughs> you hit just, with a cattle prod. Well, they're they're almost quivering. Yeah, they know? are. But that's what we talked about last week for everybody out there. If you hear that cow, can you better sit tight Absolutely. and be patient and. Doesn't mean he's going to show up, but ninety nine percent of the time there is a long beard there somewhere. And he, he just strutted. You just get to see all of this, you know, yeah. cool yes. hierarchical. Is that is that a word? Hierarchical yeah. stuff. Social. It's know, happening right status. now mm-hmm. in our place. It is happening from now until March fifteenth is my favorite time to be there. Um, you know, there's ten long beards right now in a whole bunch of jakes and there was a fight the other day that i got to film and photograph that was one of the best ones i've ever seen for a crowd but the noise that they make there's so much audio when you get a big social interaction like that this time of year from like dr mike says he said this is when the groups are going to start sorting out Mm -hmm. and the hens are going to sort out the jakes are sorting out of course nobody likes the jakes they're going to tag pretty much where they're going to go but the long beards are and those hens will get to fighting the other day 
there were two hens chasing one hen, and the gobblers strutted up, two of the, the dominant gobblers strutted up. And those hens will, and I see this every spring, they run eight, figure eights in and out of those long beards strutting, trying to get away. It's mm-hmm. the funniest thing to watch. Well, mm-hmm. if you don't get out there and watch this kind of stuff, you never know how they use those gobblers to try to dodge getting wing flapped and beat to the ground. So, so it, some of those gobbler fights look pretty violent. I'm just oh, yeah. say, oh, yeah. my history of when I've been, I mean, there's only one thing on their mind, and that's not just, you know, win the fight, win the hen. It's like, they want to kill each other. Mm-hmm. It is. If they were had horns on their head like deer, it's more violent to me than deer. Even they are. They are. They. They've. I've got a photo. I haven't shown you yet. <laughs> I don't know if it'd make a cover, but I've. I've never seen them do the head swallowing quite like this. But a Jake, a bull Jake, you know, big Jake, uh, challenged a long beard, uh, and he's. The sequence of photos, he had a long beard's back here, and that Jake is all puffed up here. And in split second, he's up beyond. You can't tell where the head ends and the other head, one head ends. Wow, wow. It is the most amazing way they fight. They they go for the throat. They go for the eyes. They pinch. They pull. Spurs. They spur. Mm -hmm. They wing flog. Rat necks. I watched them rat necks one time. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, they. Somebody's going to break their neck. (laughs) It looks like they are. Yeah. They try to bulldog each other. The one that goes to the ground a lot of the times, not every time, because you can't say always and never, but it looks to me like from all the fights that I've watched, when the two big birds get to fighting, they. Their strategy is kind of like wrestling or cage fighting, whether they want to throw them. And they'll push and turn, and they'll twist that neck until they get that bird to go on their side. That's crazy. And that's typically when one goes to the ground, he'll get up and and he'll defer. You know, he'll either run off or— Yeah, he'll tap out. That's (laughs) a good way to put it. (laughs) I've seen it a couple. And and when they decide to get out of there— they look like a track star getting out of there too, yeah. like yeah, a bullet. Like a bullet, they're gone. You ever seen yeah. one get injured? Yeah, yeah. Um, cool Whip. Cool uh, Whip. <laughs> he got great. He, he great got, name. <laughs> cool Whip got hurt. I, I named the birds because a lot of them, like Lover Boy, I photographed him for six years. That bird was at least nine the hmm. last year that I saw him. But um, Cool Whip was just this really cool old bird that showed up he was already old and um i posted a picture of him recently on social media he had a skull cap a crown i call them skull caps but i think you call them a crown technically mm-hmm. um that just even when he was just slicked up you know walking around it drooped over his eyes i could not get the catch light in his eyes it was like oof you're such a cool looking bird, but it just hung over. So he looked like a puddle of Cool Whip that was melting. Mm-hmm. So I called him CW. Oh, CW. <laughs> what a great name. Well, That's he got in name. a fight, and this has been a few years ago, and he got in a fight with another mature gobbler, that, and I've got it on a little point and shoot that I had at the time just for videos because my camera didn't shoot video. But they fought for 24 minutes right in front of me, bumped into the blind twice. And I could have reached out, you know, and did one of these. That would have tore you up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't have done it. Uh -uh. But I got so excited, I forgot to breathe. 
And I I literally slid off of my stool wow. and had to gather myself back up. It was the most exciting thing. You could hear them <laughs> panting, um, not as loud as a buck fight, but they were panting because they had fought so long and they just, um, they did the beak lock, you know, for a, a long, long period. And finally, Cool Whip won and the other bird, you could see the... As far as injuries, you could see blood around the face and all where they had just pecked and pulled. And there was blood on the breast feathers where he had sunk a spur hmm. in. And, and that showed up in the picture, one one or two little drops of blood. So I know they make contact. You know, that those spurs are pretty deadly. They've got a lot of feathers, but they do. I've killed birds that have, you guys have probably seen birds that had an abscess or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's probably from a spur. Yeah. But that cool whip bird showed back up in about three days, and his head was looking really weird. It, it was Swollen. big yeah. from the caruncles up. Well, the next day it was even puffed up even worse, and I thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to get an infection and die. But he swelled, and his neck was probably that big around, probably three times what it normally would be, all the way up through the head. Wow. So I... Um, emailed uh, somebody at Turkey and Turkey Hunting. It was way back then. And I said, I, is this bird going to survive? Because he was acting normal enough. He strutted one afternoon when it was all swollen up like that, and he'd try to preen. And he couldn't get his neck back, you know, <laughs> oh, to get man. on that tail. And he, when he gobbled, it was just this really throaty, you know, garbled little thing. But he seemed like I, I had hope then. I thought, well, he's not acting like, and there's nothing oozing or anything. So the the um, biologist got back with me, and he said, can't really say for sure because we don't have him here to look at, but it could be that he had uh, bruising mm. from all of that fighting and pulling and pinching, and his lymphatic system had gotten awry, gotten messed up to where he wasn't draining fluid because, you know, they have all that blood that fills in mm-hmm. and drains and comes in and out. And he was that way for, um, it peaked out at about four days. And he was, I've got some great photos. I've done a f- photo journal about it. Just big old puffed up head. And then it gradually, it took him about 10 days, two weeks, and it gradually went back down, and he was good as new after that. But I know that was a direct, it had to have been a direct result of that fight. Oh, sure. I don't know what else it could have been. Oh, cool. It's, vi- it's violent. I mean, it is. Especially oh, yeah. if they're, metal. it doesn't have to be too old, big, but if they're about a match mm-hmm. is when it really gets. But, I mean, I've seen, we've all seen it too where, yeah. I don't. I haven't seen like the Jake fight, but I've seen the Jakes be bullies. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen a Jake fight or something. I don't know, but Definitely I've seen. Jake. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're. I've they're killed cowards. a turkey. I remember. <laughs> I first first place I ever was able to buy, and you know I could not hunt it. Didn't kill a turkey, and then the next year, and it was not a lot of turkeys, but there was just this one, and I couldn't. Man, he was always he was old, and. Finally, one day, he was just standing up about 150 yards, gobbling no hens or anything, and as he folded his wings and started running right at me. And I thought it was because I was calling. Uh, it was three jakes. three jakes came up on top of the yeah. hill, and he didn't even wait around. He ran from him. Well, when he got in range, I killed him. I was not too proud. Right. But they, I mean, he was 
just about in on a run to get away from them. They do that a lot. Those that just that happens every year at our place. If you get a single long beard and he he gets too mouthy, and there's a a bad Jake group that's around, they will come running to run him off. And when he sees them, that's when you'll see that tail bounce. That's when I first identified that it what was fixing to happen. Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all-new Gunner Dog Bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak-resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust-proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and designed for everywhere. You think for sure that a, if you have a big, it's a glorious thing to have a great hash. Uh, but if you have a lot of jakes, especially if they're you call them bull jakes, if they're early hatch jakes and they're a little bit bigger, they'll they'll knock down the amount of goblin that they do. You think? Oh, I do, I firmly believe that. In Iowa, when we were up there, uh, we used to hunt there each year, and the locals up there would talk about, you know, it's open country and those mm-hmm. jakes. They could watch those jakes from quarter to a third of a mile over on the next hill they'd be working a gobbler and getting him gobbling all right and they'd watch those jakes come over and then uh we watched them fight run that guy that gobbler off but uh and we went back to hunting the next day and he never gobbled the next day now whether it shut him up for a day or a half a day or whatever but once they run them off that changes things anyway Hmm. um Every day's a new day in the turkey woods is what I say, because that gobbler that's on top today can be run off the next day. It could be a group of bull jakes. Um, there's the, we usually have three or four older hatch jakes around that are, I just call them thugs. They're just looking for something to do, you know, like teenage boys. You know, where are we going to hang out and cause a little ruckus today? Yeah. But they... Um, they don't really belong. You know, they're not, Dr. Mike says that, you know, they don't usually uh, breed. They're, they can, they can, but they're not as reproductively right. mature and all, but they've got the want to. So they're, mm. they're out there wanting to push those long beards off. And, and once they get the goat on a, on one single long beard, they know that they can, you know, they can do it. Yeah, I always oh. refer to them as super jakes, but bull jakes seems more appropriate. Yeah. Well, they're bullies. Yeah. I call yeah. it bull jakes yeah. for bullies. Yeah. And there are, they they can be, but a jake fight, now that's, that's almost like Keystone sis, cops. Sis, yeah. sissies, you know, it's like, and they're jumping and trying. Yeah, they're that's what's funny, clawed. the jumping. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're up in the air and they're just, it, I call it Keystone cops. Yeah, but you think he's, he, he thinks he's going to spur him, but then he, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that yeah. or not. With no yeah. spurs to spur yeah, with. They, they, how are they going to hurt him? Yep. Except scratch him. But they are very entertaining, and and they're they're fun to call to when you, you, you've probably been out hunting and oh, there wasn't gosh. anything else happening, so you mess with some jakes. Well, you can't get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they'll keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> you can wave your hand at them a lot of places and still. Mm-hmm. Well, we, to me, it seems like I'm seeing less and less of that. Like, you know, 15 years ago, you could go sit down and call and a hen would mosey up or you'd see three jakes come up to you. And I hadn't been seeing nearly as much of that lately, but really? I'm hope you know, I'm pretty hopeful this year. We've been seeing a lot of jakes on mm-hmm. camera. We Folks have, have been too. seeing a lot while they're deer hunting. And 
I'm ready to have more of that happen. You know, yeah. I, I used to get mad when the Jakes would show up, and now I now I kind of miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to know for the next year. You know, yeah, a bunch of two year olds next year. Man, hunters be don't ever cuss a having a bunch of Jakes. Don't, <laughs> no. don't ever no. do it. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. That is your future. Mm-hmm. We had a a bird that I called Hishi because he wasn't either. He he was a blend. And he he ran with a bunch of jakes. Wait 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 wait. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen one. What, no, what what was this? A he she a hermorphodite. Yeah, hermorphodite. I'm, I'm loving all these all this lingo <laughs> I'm learning. Bobby's learning something today. Yeah. And but when you're when you're by yourself with a bunch of turkeys all the time, you you just yeah. come up with. Uh, well, you see things that birds, you know you got to term it. I've, you know? I've got my own common names for a few plants that I never bothered to look up. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. probably the same thing. Yeah. So you've got a you're you, uh, this turkey's got male characteristics and fit, behaves like a female or vice versa. Yeah, or what? he he was running with some jakes and then he and this was some jakes with a couple of hens and it was kind of odd because there were two hens that just hung with them all season and I don't know if they were just a late hatch and they just didn't get broody or what but this bird came in and he had no snood, um, no no crown but he was black feathered. No spurs and no beard, but he would mount a decoy, and it's the funniest looking thing. And he was there for two years, um, and I've I've had birds. I've got a long beard that was there two years ago that um, had no skull cap. You know, he had like a hen head almost. Right, right, yeah. And I had one that had no snood. Did the feathers the one that you were just talking about? Did he the should... feathers come all the way up the back of the head to the top? Like a hen. Like a hen. I have to go back and look. It's we call a- them. We kill them every now and then. We yeah. kill them and we call them snake-headed turkeys. And everybody, yeah. the legend is they're the pure original strain. I've never seen them, but really in Alabama and you know eastern central, western central, and then south. But they always call me, and it could have been hearsay. But I, I do. I did one time. I killed one anyway, like twelve pounds, and had like inch, almost inch and a half spurs. Like needles, it looked like something out of Florida. But mm-hmm. he had feathers all the way up the back of his head, and a little crest of them came up on top in the back. A little, I mean, he had caruncles and all, but it was a little henny looking. Yeah. This I'm one saying, had no caruncles. I mean, he was yeah. really lacking and, and also, in hormones. Look, one other yeah. thing, yeah, this one gobbled like thunder. Really, you thought he was a twenty-something pounder, but he was just a little old bitty. You know, so I don't know. I've heard of that. I didn't know if you've heard of it. In one of Bob Dixon's best buddies, yeah. Merritt Rogers, started. He was in that crowd, wow. old time turkey hunters, and he called them snake headed turkeys. And, you know, they it was a big thing. Oh, so and so killed a snake headed turkey. And who knows? <laughs> I think she was referring to another one. She said a true Eastern. You know yeah. I mean? yeah, they talk Could about be. true Moss Easterns heads, being a little head. black yeah. 15 yeah. to 18 mm-hmm. pound yeah, gobbler. Yeah. 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 That was the first bird I ever shot, was, and he looked different than any other bird other than um, when I was down in Florida. Yeah. You get some of those that are real black, black. That's black. a question yeah, that, for the great Dr. Mike. One but I remember him, I think you remember him saying that they kind of believe the origins of the Osceola and the original southeastern mm-hmm. turkey are kind of the same. Yeah. And they, yeah, they I want to say they I evolved, read, they evolved over time. I think I know. read about that in the old McElhenney uh, Jordan mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a gobbler on the farm last year that I photographed and I sent to Dr. Mike. And I said, check out, he was doing a wing stretch. I knew there was something different about him. And I looked back at the photo and I went, oh my God, he looks just like an Osceola. He has black Mm -hmm. primaries. And I sent it to Mike and he said, well, you know, there's talk about there were some 
uh, floor Osceola type genetics down in as far north as southern Alabama. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Look, he looks like a Osceola on the on the wings anyway. He's black, but not. I wouldn't say he was real, real black. But um, it was. It, that's the first one I've seen like that. I've photographed long beards. I think they were probably siblings. Uh, one year that had two solid black primaries. Have wow. y'all ever seen mm-hmm. those? Mm-mm. And then we've got a hen on the place now that has uh, at least two of her center retrices. Um, the ta- tail feathers are red. Mm-hmm. There's no barring on them. Huh. Uh, and then, of course, we've always got bearded hens yeah. every year, and we've got two right now. But that's in the genetics for some reason. We've had one smoke phase with a beard, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare. Well, we, a, we a used to have a lot. Phase. We used to have a lot of smoke phase hens. I don't see them much anymore. Oh, man. Yeah, we did. Our, our turkeys here, my dad had them through the state. Uh, they released some from over on the Mississippi River. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, when they were almost extinct, at least the map I looked at, they had that famous area in South Alabama. and But there was a little teeny strip between, say, Greenville and Memphis on the river that were original you know, didn't become extinct right in there. But that's where ours came from that are over here. And I've seen, you know, in the days when, when we all hunted back here, not behind, far behind the office, it might be 40 or 50 in a flock, you know, with hens and some mm-hmm. young turkeys. It'd be three smoke phase hens. I'm not sure I've ever seen a, a, a true, you know, white or smoke phase gobbler with my eyes, but maybe once or twice, like looking yeah. in a field or, you know, they're so much more rare than they the are, hens. like rare as hen's teeth. We Mike had, would say. We had. Uh, a, I have photographed <laughs> one gobbler, uh, a long beard. It was gorgeous. They're so. We were getting a a, a Jake and then a, a two year old, completely white long beard. Uh, but he had black eyes, so he was leucistic, mm-hmm. and then then he disappeared. Not not sure what happened. The the one that I photographed up in Tennessee, the gobbler, he's gorgeous. He was strutting for a whole bunch of hens up in the mountains. And um, when he was slicked down, he was fairly dark looking, but he looked kind of golden. But when he fanned out, he had all this cream behind the tips on wow. it. And uh, he's just, just beautiful. Um, that's the only gobbler. I've, a friend of mine killed... Uh, it like Mike said, it, it may have had a blend of some domestic turkey, and it was that uh, erythristic. erythristic. Yeah, it was like red the, and white, mm-hmm. like the one Vandy killed. Yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful turkey. Yeah. Um, incredible. Just yeah, got this that one back was in Kentucky. It was. Is it you back? know, yeah, it's sitting out front. Yeah, it's funny that all these things. I mean, I, I guess they're so either they're genetic, and they're so recessive they only rarely by some stroke pop up, or they're just mutations. Dudley. Probably knows sure. more about that than me. I don't know, but it's so cool because they're, they, you, like you said, it pops up here, mm-hmm. and never to be seen again. It pops up there, never to be seen again. But I have noticed a couple, only in Alabama, not here, but they have like the the feathers, really almost the most beautiful feathers they have right at the base of the tail. Yeah. It's just incredible. Yeah. But they're like maroon, like Mississippi State maroon. Oh, just wow. Just beautiful. Uh, we've killed probably two or three. Neil killed one. One day he was with you. He killed a bunch of them with Mac. But I think he was with David Hawley that day. But it was the picture on the – they took a picture in the sun. It was a late mm-hmm. morning turkey in late season. But it was just incredible. It was – I don't know what you call them, but it was like maroon. 
literally that kind of maroon. The iridescence was yeah. maroon looking. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally the feathers, when you look at it, still had the little eyelashes and all up there. Mm-hmm. Was it was it real black, like a melanistic? Have you all ever mm-hmm. seen a, a melanistic, a, a black turkey? I've seen pictures I've of seen a deer, but one, never though. a turkey. I'm yeah, not sure in I've person. Seen, I've seen the photos of a melanistic turkey, but that... That sounds like he was leaning toward mm-hmm. melanistic because he had more black, more of the melanin in his feathers. He did, but it was it so refracted bl- uh, purple. It, it was really vibrant maroon looking. Or maroon, yeah. Yep, it yeah. still has a little tan band, a little bit, but I don't know. I've seen two or three kind of like that, but it's funny they do have different colors in their fans, all all the way to almost a khaki like a mm-hmm. Rio. Yeah. The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. This is Lanny at the Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak. I've been shooting Nosler bullets as long as I've been wearing Mossy Oak. Nosler ballistic tip ammunition is made for knocking deer down right where they stand. Nosler's famous ballistic tip bullet is the key. It has controlled expansion and bone-crushing punch to turn a whitetail's lights out. Bring home more deer this year with ballistic tip ammunition from Nosler. Buy now at Nosler.com. Interesting stuff. So I wanted yeah. to ask the the way you photograph, you build a blind or you pop up a blind, and then so you're kind of dedicated to that one spot for that period of time. Yeah, uh, on turkeys depends on where I am at the farm. I've got four or five blinds, and I pop them up wherever I want to have turkeys, and that's where somebody asked me a lot. <laughs> how do you know where you're going to shoot? How do you you know? How do you get such good pictures? And I just tell them one word, visualization. You know, you visualize. It's like when you're hunting. You visualize where you think that bird's going to come from, Mm -hmm. how you're going to set up, how you can move. Well, with photography, you know, I put up blinds where I want to get a certain background at a certain time of day with a certain light, certain color. Depends on where the sun's going to be if I'm wanting it side lit. So um, I, I do shoot a lot out of blinds for turkeys. But I I will just take my camera and go and see if I can have a quick encounter and set up like I'm turkey hunting and put a little bit of brush in front. These cameras nowadays have these vibration reduction features, all these video cameras, same way. You can just carry it around. I use my shoulder for a, a rest and sit down and, and also I, I can be pretty flexible, but the bulk of the stuff uh, does come from a blind because I mean I'm not shooting backyard turkeys. These are turkeys that are out, you know, in the wild. Mm-hmm. And you've got that big old shiny lens sticking out, a big oh, yeah. eyeball. Yeah. yeah, and I mean they can get they'll get close enough they'll be looking at you, <laughs> that, looking at that big shiny eyeball yeah. and also because um, you put a big lens out there and that's a good thing you got a hood on it because mm-hmm. they really you know. Every artist has a style or they, you know, they aim to develop a style, whether mm-hmm. they realize it or not. And it's uh, you obviously have a developed style. Uh, I can, you know, I can see it. But it's interesting to know that your mind is already already has a photo in it mm-hmm. before you set up. And, you, you know, it's almost like somebody's thinking about the wind direction and where they're going to set up mm-hmm. and um uh, 
it's it's a plan that you have before you go out and mm-hmm. uh, it you, you mentioned you probably do a little bit of both but it sounds like in your mind you have mm-hmm. a photo you want the light to be coming this direction uh you know you and that, am i right yeah yeah and um for one thing i, I want to share it the way god made it mm-hmm. and i love a lot of these filters and and edits and all that go on a lot of these clips and photos that are moody and they create moods and all in post-processing. I tend to be a realist. I want to share what I see and what God made. So I try not, I try to use light, God, God light is what I call it. And what, and pray for a God wink and I'll probably (laughs) cry here, (laughs) but you know, if you're given a gift that's that's the way I believe. You know, I'm a Christian. I think we should use it to show other people that we didn't all just pop up here one day, that God created it, a God. However he is when we get there, we'll figure that out. <laughs> but I want to photograph and share with people the way I see it as much as I can. And I want people to see things that may, may not get a chance to see, because not everybody is a hunter but they can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not targeting just hunters. I want to target as many people as I can to move them to want to be outdoors. Because I think if you believe being outdoors is a good place to really reinforce that. So when I visualize these photos, um, I want to, I want to capture it. And make it as real as I can. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Lanny, what you got? Uh, just a, a little bit. You know, there's been a lot of conversation, um, you know, over the last couple of years about um, the good that it may do to push the season opening uh, mm-hmm. to be later. From your experience in the field, I mean, you've, you've probably seen more of the establishment of the social hierarchy than anybody. Cause you know, we're out there, you know, trying mm-hmm. to shoot them when they get close. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts, uh, are, I think a lot of the breeding is, is taking place in early March uh, now for our area, mm-hmm. but there's not, it's not all done. Um, I think when Alabama moved it on down the road just a little bit, that gave an opportunity for those dominant birds to get those hens bred. And I think it I think it's a good idea. I think it's um important that you don't break up that social structure too early. And the pressure just of having people in the woods early yeah. is is hard on that social interaction that breeding urge the rituals that go on every day and when we break them up and offer them you know decoys or whatever and i'm not against any of anything that's legal at all but i think the more hens you can get bred by the dominant birds those hens know which bird is the healthiest strongest best they innately know that i mean Mm -hmm. dr mike tell you that that's what i've learned from him we can we can call birds and not necessarily shoot them every time. Yeah, you can have a lot of enjoyment. Now that's coming from a seventy-one year old woman that spent most of her life in the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not somebody that's just getting started. Like when I was fifteen or seventeen, and I wanted to kill everything I saw. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you, you go through stages, but 
pretty a wise. Little, but a little throttling on your own needs or your wants can go a long way to managing the resource. Not only the management with trees and plants and and water and and all the things that we do for turkeys, just what we can do to manage our expectations. We want to hear turkeys gobble. A lot of people consider that a satisfactory hunt oh, yeah. to hear a turkey. And that's what a lot of these regulations are based on is let's get these guys out there where they can hear a gobble. Um, as m- mature turkey hunters or outdoor people, we can set an example by, you know, saying, yeah, I'm in favor of that. Let's, yeah. let's, let's work for the turkeys. Those hens have a hard enough time. Let them breed with the best guys out there, yeah. you know. That's a good question, Lanny. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it was. It, it, I, I appreciate you I, asking yeah. that because <laughs> it, it's, so. For everybody's perspective, she's referencing that Alabama Bobby's pushed old back. Stomping ground. It, 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 it was. <laughs> she, but they pushed it back ten days from the fifteenth yeah. to the twenty fifth, and so. it makes a huge difference because I usually see breeding start around the seventh. I mean, I'm sure now there's plenty of stuff goes on I don't know about. Mm -hmm. But over the years, 25 years, it's usually early March, depending on weather, too. You've got to take all of that. There's there's no absolutes in it. But overall, they're still breeding in April. I photograph uh, quite a few. It's recreational maybe at that point because one breeding is all it takes. You know, they've, they've got everything they need fertilized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your hens, like Mike and I were talking, they're promiscuous, you know, they're, and the gobblers are going to want to breed until all of that hormone level lowers. But still, um, you want it, that, that's all the more reason to be thinking about how can we make the most hens at their best shape, second nestings, are never as good as the first. So you oh, want those hens bred early and get in there and get the peak of everything that's going to be out for their brood when they hatch. You know, a second nesting is is great. I had one that were they were about six weeks old, according to what Mike estimated, in August. Mm-hmm. Four little poults. Hmm. They still had their little poult feathers on them. Hmm. They made it. But that's an exception. You, you really want to... I've kind of droned on about this, but yes, Lanny, I think a a week or two is not too much to sacrifice when you've got a long season anyway. Oh, my God. And I I will say even from the selfish, you know, killing turkeys perspective, the one thing you get is that you get a rip-roaring opening day. Instead of that, everything shut up when it hit the ground, (laughs) you know. all It's just it is in full swing. Daddy said it, and he's been turkey on 80 years almost. And he's forever said he, and he's hunting Alabama, but Mississippi now too. He would always say, within a week of the first of April is going to be the best. I don't mm-hmm. care when you open, when you do it. But I will say that for moving it back. I'm, and I'm, you know, I know me. I'm for whatever is best is best, best for the critters. Yeah. I could care less. We just, you know what? We just hunt around it. Mm-hmm. And if it helps, I'll say this. So far, could be an anomaly. Who knows? It sure seems to have helped. What yeah. I've seen, yeah, has yeah. been Alabama really sure. encouraging. You know, yeah. yeah, that's good. Mac, you got a question? I do. This one's a, a left field one, but as much time as you spend in the woods, 
I seemed on like a mid-morning when you see crows circling around and diving and ducking and all that, it seems like to me that there are turkeys like below those crows more times than not on a particular property that I hunt. Do you see a crow and a turkey having a nemesis interaction or is that just an anomaly that I, I noticed? Um, I've seen them. They they get on owls a lot, but they're usually up in the trees. You know, you can tell the difference. But yeah, I've seen um, just the other day, there's three uh, crows that hang out around these um, turkeys that I'm photographing. And I see hens and jakes chase them, I actually try to chase them off. They were under some oak scratching around underneath the leaves and all. And the crows come in there and I'm wondering if they're coming in there to kind of pick up and feed on something they may scratch up. Uh, but there, I think there is, you know, there's always some competition when there's food involved. Um, crows, I, I, I believe crows will eat turkey eggs. And oh, they, yeah. You know, they eat other baby birds, so why no wouldn't they no. eat a poult yeah. or okay. a quail poult? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a natural nemesis feeling between the, between the two, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I have not not often, but I have seen them. But it wasn't two or three; it was a gang oh, yeah. of crows, turkey who'd been gobbling, and I've oh, yeah. seen it once only that I can remember. But in the woods, several times, and it would be all of a sudden that crescendo of obnoxious, mm-hmm. out of control, right where the turkey was gobbling. And when they finally left, sometimes it takes a while. You couldn't do anything known to man to make him gobble again. Mm-hmm. They shut him up. Mm. They're aggravating. Yeah, yes, they are. They're, they're obnoxious. So I, I want to ask about all these, all this time you spent in the woods. Can you teach us anything about drumming, yeah, or give <laughs> us your great, thoughts on on question. drumming? Uh, well, I did a a little thing on um, spitting and drumming, and talked to um, Brian Lovett about it, and. He knew a guy up in one of the northern states that had a turkey, and um, it was like a pet, and he tried to figure out what was going on there. And it the spit, um, to me, it looks, and I've, I've photographed it a lot and watched it, like, you know, right here kind of stuff. And to me, it, it looks like they, they inhale. Some people, you know, they call it a spit. Right. But it's it looks more like a like that and then they vibrate that that lung area, that air, and it and it quivers the feathers. Now I'm not a scientist, so but it, I would it, venture to say that you've been in the vicinity of live yeah, turkeys I've more never, than most scientists. And yeah, I think I'm sure they would probably there, agree. But I've never heard <laughs> a biologist or anyone describe it that they knew exactly Mm-mm. I can remember maybe 10 years ago that nobody, and it was still kind of that mystery. I'm not sure what caused it. That's by far the best explanation I've mm. seen. Do you hear them a lot? Like before you see them, you can you hear them drumming? Uh, and- with my hearing aids now, I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> isn't, it not, isn't it the coolest sound in all of nature? It, it is. I mean, that even- and the drumming. And yeah. then watching with the cameras now mm-hmm. with, a go- with a gobble, that bird – always mm-hmm. opens his beak and and then gobbles the beak and it took until they had the these really fast shutters i can rip off 35 40 images 
in a gobble, which only lasts about a second to a second and a half. Mm. Depends on where you start it. But the if you can anticipate, and that's another thing you learn is to anticipate little clues as to when a bird's going to gobble, and they get a little look to them. And if I can hit the shutter quick enough, you can see that beak come open, and then it comes out and it opens and closes mm. a t- couple of times. The spit and the drum... Um, I don't know if they are intentionally quivering. You know, every feather, they've got five to 6,000 feathers on their body. They have an individual muscle cluster at the base of each feather. That controls those feathers. They can lay them up, lay them down, turn them left, turn them right. You know, they lay like shingles. They've served four or five purposes. But just knowing that Every little muscle in there has to quiver at the same time. Um, If they suck in air and, mm, you know, you can hum to yourself. Is it, are they forcing the air out or are they humming? Hmm. You know, I don't know. I'd like to ask you. you know, yeah, tell me. We were but <laughs> it, the feathers vibrate. The tail yeah, feathers yeah. vibrate, vibrate so yeah. much, and I was like, "Is it? Could it be vibrating so much? It makes that noise. That doesn't seem likely." The hum. It sounds guttural. is the most logical thing I've yeah. ever heard. And but. we were arguing that some individual gobblers are louder than others. Yes, and oh, then yeah. also whether or not That's they're just controlling themselves differently so, at different times. Yeah, my and, thing. I was all big on is like, and you know whatever not get into it. but a, a really loud drumming turkey was always an older turkey so i don't know if you've had everything that gets big and loose you know yeah. you just yeah. you know when you get older you, yeah. you know you just everything changes when you, you lose elasticity all of that it, it just um you notice like the two-year-olds have that little short uh-huh yeah, just, the, just kind of a drum without a spit almost. Yeah. 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 But mm-hmm. the spit, boy, when you hear one of those really spit, right. it's usually a deep drum. Mm-hmm. You know, you can and you feel it yep. when you're close like that. Like from me to And Topsy, you can't when you can't locate it is the most unnerving thing of all. Yeah, it doesn't have a directional throw to it. It's an it, it's like a surround it's sound inside to me. Your, it's inside yeah. your head. Yeah. I mean, it's literally they yeah. got inside your head. Um, yeah. That sound is it is it's it's uh, I never get tired of it. No. And we, we, can, it can, I never get tired. You sound of it. very good. When you did it just a second ago. We, I wish you would. I, you, <laughs> Bobby you, just wants to hear it again. Record it. Go yeah, out. Go it. out in the woods. Yeah, no. he's good at that that sound. And then yeah, it's because I got a cold right now. A truck accelerating. Yeah, make you think yeah. that you're hearing a drum a long way off. That's the way it's described a lot of times. So it sounds like a truck. You know, in the distance or have something. You, have you seen that ever be – I know you have seen because you've been with a lot of good turkey hunters too, but have you seen people use the drumming to call one up before? Or you ever tried it or I've, watched it ha- work? I've done it just to mess around with birds, you know, right, with right. jakes and stuff. Oh, yeah. And just watch so I can get them to get alert. Are you, know, you getting I use, right. I use vocalizations to get a reaction and take a picture of a reaction. Right. But not to call in one, you'd have, they'd need to be, you know, fairly close. I guess if you had a, a gobbler decoy out, you could mimic him. Yeah, you probably you know. don't even need it if you got the decoy, but, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, it's that the uh, you made a comment a minute, a minute ago that you're for anything that's legal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times turkey hunters, there's just kind of so much going on right now that 
whether this is something a guy ought to do or, you know, there's just different techniques and stuff, but, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to open up a can of worms here. No, and I know where you're going. Go down there. But where, where do you, what do you think, where's the line drawn? It's just like technology, Bobby. I think, you know, where is the line drawn on how easy it's going to be to find a turkey or a deer or whatever? It's the same with um, what we use to hunt turkeys. There's reaping, there's decoys. Um, I, I'm not going to criticize or or try to divide a hunting community over legal methods, but I have my own personal convictions on what I think is ethical and... and um, so you, you know, see, I, I I don't agree with some of these methods that are out there. No, but I can't say you shouldn't do that. Right. I can just say I don't agree. It's not for me, and it's it's. I think there's some unfair advantage there at a critical time, like when we're talking about that breeding season and all, where you're fooling gobblers. That, mm, you know, mm-hmm. give them a chance. So two <laughs> things, because that is a tender topic, but mm-hmm. it is very important. So one thing you can do, she can do, especially with all the respect she has everywhere. It's not, you know, you don't have to put anybody else down if they do something you don't agree with. I don't see right. it's worth like putting the other person down. That's almost like you're trying to build yourself up, but maybe you can show shine the light on a better way. That's a whole different thing than kind of putting somebody down. So, what she just did was just kind of shining the light on a better way. What I will say on my preachy side, and it's just a fact, <laughs> we all will sleep in the bed that we make. Mm-hmm. This is not something where we That's true. blasted too many ducks. Guess what? You know, Canada's going to do their job, and we'll get a, a bunch of them in next year or whatever. What you, what you have is what you have. So to the degree you're willing to take care of it is what your future's going to be like. And so that's the main thing out there for your own benefit better think twice about what all you do and the ramifications. That's all I'm saying for everybody. Yeah. Well said. You know, because yeah. I'm well not, said. you know, what you do on your places, your business is not my business. And hopefully at Gamekeepers, we just shine a light on ways to enjoy your life outdoors more. But don't forget, it, it, it's, it's easy to forget that we all sleep in the bed that we make, especially regarding turkeys, deer too. Yeah. Yeah. You That's own your own smoke. resource. I mean, well, you like my dad used to say, look beyond tomorrow. Yeah. You know, just use use common sense before you, you know, do anything in life. But Toxie says it really well that, um, you know, we've got we've got a responsibility, and what's most important our our immediate need or want, or what's best for the resource. Well, and she said one other thing. I want to be sure and say out there, everybody, so important. Beyond all the X's and O's of this, she made a point right off the bat that we do think that she, even her, she hounds herself in a way to try to kind of unite people and not pit them against each other. And I do think in today's world, it is more important than ever that we try to be united, especially mm-hmm. let's just pick it off a, a sport at a time. Let's just talk about turkeys as that's our passion and the core of our brand. So can we, are we doing things to bring people together instead of, not thinking about what we say and splitting them apart. So I think it's really important we all pull together mm-hmm. in today's world because it's a fast moving. There's no telling what things might be done to affect our future as hunters with habitat, with the wilds that we love. And uh, it's so important. I think we have all learned that the richest turkey hunting experience 
is when you locate one, you sit down to him and you play the game with mm-hmm. him. And, Absolutely. And, that, Absolutely. And, and, and we've all done different techniques to stand on one's head. And we all, we want to throw one over our shoulder and walk out of the woods. But that experience that you can have leaning up against a tree, shaking like a leaf, yelping mm-hmm. at him and having him come try and find you is as good as it. That That is mm-hmm. the pinnacle of it. And and there there are other wa- ways to ex- experience that turkey hunt, but and take a camera. Yeah, you yep. know you can hunt with a camera and still, you know, that first ten days they moved down in Alabama, you can still go out, you know, and enjoy it. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. It's not like that's what I why I'm all for that. It doesn't prevent you from enjoying a hunting experience it just prevents you from killing one yeah you know uh, and i think a lot of people too and rightfully so it's like they're hunting somewhere other people hunt are they hunting somewhere yeah. it's not and very they feel big pressured, and know? they feel the pressure the, the insecurity the fear whatever mm-hmm. if i don't kill him so and so i can't yeah. stand that guy he's gonna kill him or something you know so hey and i get that i've had those same feelings before and i've mm-hmm. killed turkeys near the edge of the place, thinking that you know, if you don't but get it, somebody else is. If yeah. you're fairly secure, that you're, as my friend once said, "Ah, tuckers, we want ah, tuckers to sound our place." <laughs> <laughs> but if you are fairly secure about that, maybe, maybe take a page out of her book and enjoy him a little more. Just use a little self discipline, you know. Yeah, like and- giving up something for Lent. Okay, I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna just hunt and not shoot. And especially like we didn't have any. We had one gobbler for three years in a row on our farm just five years ago. And through all these things that are being identified that's affecting populations, predator control hogs and habitat mm-hmm. and all that, we've last two years, you know, have just been a blessing. We've had two good hatches. Yes, us too. But what it is. we wouldn't think about shooting a bird if we don't have enough birds yeah. to mm-hmm. really. And that's what knowing what you have and that's that preseason scouting. I mean, some people say check your cameras, put cameras out right now. Mm-hmm. Because like Mike said, birds are the birds you see now, the number of gobblers, the winter flocks are what's within a maybe a mile to two mile radius of you. They're gonna disperse, but it gives you a good idea of what is in your neighborhood. We've got ten right now they're not all going to stay we'll be probably have two or three that'll be what i'll be photographing a month from now but i know that there's probably going to be seven more on my neighbors and then there's probably some on their place right now that i don't know about that are coming from somebody beyond so february is a great month to get an idea of if you can't be out there all the time like i can have some cameras out you know, don't disturb them too much, but see what you have coming in and crossing in front of that camera and, and get a little idea on what your shoot. It's like having a deer shoot list. Mm-hmm. So, much, so much like it. One of the first times ever I've been able to secure an undisclosed location, so I can't say, but we had <laughs> been able to pretty much watch turkeys off and on all the fall. Mm-hmm. And then there was, there was, you know, it started to evolve into, say, maybe a mid-January <clears throat> there were six and then eight hens. There was five long beards that looked like there were two year olds, and then three men showed up. And those those five vaporized. We hadn't seen them in a month. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they are, 
But then there was a three, and then there was eight hens, and then there was ten hens, and then there was two long beards. That's it, just two. Now they're up to 15 hens, and it's the same two. And that's it. I can tell now nobody's going to get to join the club. Those two kind of agreed to a partnership. Mm-hmm. And if somebody shows up, it's going to be hell. And they have just <laughs> – yeah. you know, but uh, that process was so cool to kind of watch who showed up, you know. Yeah, but I'll tell you it's, what, it's for, since those three showed up, those five, you could tell they look like – to me they look like two years. They are gone. I don't know what – their neighbors may have a good year. Hmm. Who knows? <laughs> So tell us about this farm, how big it is, how y'all manage it so that you can – farm. Your farm, yeah. It's 210 acres, and uh, it's got a real diverse habitat on it. It's It's got a creek uh, that runs 99% of the time. It's a pretty good-sized creek, but in a drought, it'll get pretty much dried up. But it feeds into a swamp, so we've got a creek – that dumps into a, a swampy area with tupelo gums and all that's in a southwest corner of the place. And then it comes uphill into Upland. Um, it was an old farm years ago, and um, we've got most of the ag fields planted in pines. Dad and I planted about 20 acres back in 95, um, he bought an old cast iron planter and put a boat seat on it. And I sat there and put <laughs> 10,000 pine saplings. <clears throat> he measured off every row and everything. So those trees are up 20 some years old now. So we've got pine plantations, hardwood bottom, drainages, hills, three big, sharp, beautiful hardwood ridges. Um, what do you do to try to enhance it for the turkeys? We've got um, about seven food plots and we, Try to keep red clover mix in all of them. We've, um, we do plant cereal grains. We'll mix that in. We battle with wild radishes. Hmm. Uh, and we're going to have to do, we, we forego, didn't plant, um, clover in the one big field this, uh, last fall because it's just gotten so prevalent, um, that we just put wheat and oats in it and going to burn it down. There's and some it, broadleaf killing. Yeah, we've got to do that now. They they've just they're beautiful to photograph in, but it's not. I want to get back to getting that crimson clover, you know, to where I can do something with it. So we've got our two biggest plots. We're we're battling wild radish. So they're they're cereal grains, but you know the turkeys are down in them. We um had no. We had the worst mass crop ever in 35 years I've been there. So our plots are super, um, I mean, you could put golf balls on them yep. and the, yeah. the baskets are knee high. So um, our food plots are really, they were really important this year mm-hmm. for the turkeys and the deer. And um, we, we burn our native areas. Now that we're older, it's like more and more of this open stuff behind the house is turning in. We're tired of mowing it. You know, so we're developing that into uh, native areas with viewing lanes. So we, you know, game may come right up, like in a rainy day, they'll just walk right up there in the backyard and go down the next viewing lane. We don't feed in the yard or any of that kind of stuff. But we've got a good mix of rubus, you know, of all your blackberries, dewberries, and all that in those native areas with a lot of your native grasses, panic grasses, and, um, viburnums and all that you know all your your native forbs that the deer and the turkeys can both use and they nest in it 
So um, we've you, got one big three-acre three, three acre pond, and we've got some little potholes that Dad dug out with the for water sources scattered uh, on that 200 acres. So we try to, you know, we're low budget, low tech. We got an old Massey Ferguson tractor that's uh, got when I moved there, but we get we get enough done that we can enjoy it and have some well, wildlife. Quick question: I didn't anticipate this one starting out, but what would you say quickly would be one of your top two or three uh, native plants for turkeys? If you had, I'd not, you notice. You said a couple of them. Are any that stand out of of more importance to you that you found? Well, for for nesting cover, I would say the blackberry and dewberry patches because I've photographed them, nests in them multiple yeah, I, times. I, I, you know, I'm glad you said it because I loved behind the burn. The the blackberries have gotten so thick. The vines are so heavy they don't really burn. Mm-hmm. all the leaves and it kills them so it's just it's like this web canopy over yeah. the top and no hawk or anything could get in there exactly. but it's open at the bottom so the folks could get around so i actually looked out there hoping that would be really good you know yeah poke rearing it, you, you just seem to describe practices that you know from back in the you know 40 acre and a mule day you know what produced all these bob white quail here in the southeast yeah. was constantly yeah. out in the field doing little you know yeah. Uh, piddling and, and disking this and, you know, cutting down this cedar tree to make a fence post, but you exactly. leave the top laying there. Yep. You got little briar thickets. Um, yeah, gosh, that, you know, Dr. Uh, I mean, uh, Bobby Watkins, correct? Oh, oh for <laughs> Good, sure. Close friend. Oh yeah. Very I did well. a lot of work with him with BASF mm-hmm. and he said he coined that, that, that word, um, rabbitat. Rabbitat. Mm-hmm. I yeah. was with him <laughs> doing, uh, photos of, pine plantations and he said if you've got a lot of rabbits you've got good habitat for almost everything and i never really forgot that and we did the hinge cutting you know dropping stuff letting it grow up with we have a lot of honeysuckle and jasmine you know but the deer are eating jasmine this year i'm telling you they're Mm -hmm. eating everything Mm -hmm. so and privet but um that's a bad sign yeah that is that's a real bad sign um but yeah, we 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 do those little patchwork mm-hmm. mini management spots where we'll go in and and do something to it might be big as this room, and uh, it works. It oh. does. It, and you give those, you scatter those where they might have to get through an open area where they're vulnerable, but you work them to where they're connected by, you know, they 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 make like a little bridge that they can yeah. go from one point to another diversity diversity yeah. diversity yeah and you know that hen may not you know she may not be the smartest at choosing a perfect nest site but if you have good nesting habitat in a mosaic type mm-hmm. setting then chances are she's going to put her nest in a in a safer spot i've seen and, and i keep going back to my friend dr mike because he's he's so wise in all this and this illustrated what he told me um, when I was making doing one of the understanding wild turkeys columns. Your hens, they the research shows that you have hens. The successful hens are more likely to be successful next next year than the ones that are unsuccessful. That they found that some hens have a tendency to protect themselves, and some hens live and brood and nest 
to save the poults. They're like good moms and bad moms. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. So you want to give them as much good habitat so that even the ones that are maybe not as devoted to the nest can can find good because we had a hen nest, I'm not kidding you, at our gate, 15 yards from the gate in the driveway, which is not on the highway, but still it was just right there on a little sapling that big around, mm-hmm. right next to the mm-hmm. gate, 10 yards from the from our gate, and we're going in and out of it. And she's sitting there hunkered down in the wide open. And then I find nests in these briar thickets. And the, and the possums and coons will still find them, mm-hmm. you know. So those hens need every opportunity yeah. to find a good secluded spot and i think briars are one of the best things and they definitely take advantage of those areas on our place we mow them about that high when the canes get super big because they'll run their course after a while and they'll just be dead mm-hmm. so um mow them uh, a foot or bobby two off said, the ground yeah, and bobby let them said, regenerate mow them up high and let them come back and every now and then we'll just mow it clear down and let something else come up but um but I think the the all those thorny things are are good. Mm-hmm. Do you make an effort in any of these food plots to keep keep them mowed down so that they're more like a strutting area that a, that a bird early in the morning would feel comfortable being in? Or do you make any effort to do anything like that? Yeah, I'm a, I'll mow strips down. Um, I tell you, we've got so many deer. I don't know about y'all, but our food plots don't get oh, no, real, yeah. real tall. They don't get out of hand in the spring other than the wild radishes. They get super tall. So, yeah, um, I'll start clipping things off. And uh, if the clover hasn't been choked out too bad, I try to stay above the clover. But, um, yeah, I do. I do. I call it landscaping. I go out there with my little battery operated chainsaw and hedge trimmers and, and the bush hog on the tractor and I'm going to create places. I like to disc an edge for dusting and for reading sign because um, those those hens are going to be out there that are nesting anywhere in the area. You know, I know my, our little flock and what they tend to do. But anytime you can create des- dusting spots, and they don't have to be that, that big. They'll use an ant mound. Um, when they're incubating, Man, they're going to come out in the afternoon and dust. They love a dust bath, and they'll peck around a little bit. And when it's hunting season, those old gobblers, old lover boy would park his himself underneath a low-hanging red oak limb every afternoon and wait for this one little hen to come out to do her little dust and thing, and he'd get up and he'd strut for her. Well, if I was a hunter, I'd you know I'd be out there. I know if you find that dusting area, that's an important part next to a food plot mm-hmm. is is give those hens scattered dusting spots around so they can get out there and do their duties if i sat on a nest all day i'd be wanting to scratch too <laughs> oh yeah <you> know? <laughs> wow. yeah dudley have you got anything else you want to ask well, I, I think that's interesting about the dusting spots that was one of the first things my dad taught me was oh, if really? you, you know if you strike out in the morning uh just yeah. go find a good upland dusting area where the you know, the ground is drier and they're more apt to go uphill and, and look for a dusty spot. You can't imagine how much time turkeys spend dusting and preening of the day. That is the predominance of their day is loafing and preening. And, uh, 
anyway, the ones on our farm are, they go through all their feathers. You know, they'll, the little ones will lay out there in the sun like they're a dead dog and what <laughs> open their wings out. Little poults are fun to watch. But turkeys are constantly grooming. They, they're, I think their feathers are, their plumage is one of the most important parts of survival because, I mean, it, it protects them in, in so many ways. And every feather's got to be realigned. And after that rain, that big flooding rain, they spent, I know, all day because when they showed up yesterday afternoon at 4 o'clock, everybody was preened up. And the that hen, morning the hens look like they're strutting. That's so funny. Oh, I know. After rain. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> they fan out. Yeah. Trying to get dry. Feathers yeah. popped but out. But they yeah. have to do every, they have to do that every day to keep everything in line and all the parasites and the fluff and the dander and, and all of that. So your dad was totally right. If you want to know what the turkeys are doing when you don't know where they are, they're usually preening mm-hmm. <laughs> or dusting or loafing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know. That's where that patience and perseverance kind of kicks in. For sure. Um, and then I've, I've got a really cli- cliche question for you, but, um, uh, you know, I've got a degree in photography and I, I never fell into it, but uh, you had mentioned some names like Paul Brown and uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Kirkpatrick. I, I love, uh, you know, always wanted to be like them <laughs> and uh, had the slide film and, then when I started pricing some of those lenses, uh, anyway, things. Yeah, it's but, scary. Uh, no, so what uh, what would you suggest for an aspiring wildlife photographer? Uh, how to how to get started? I know no two artists are the same, but if you can offer any tips on how somebody can can get into that field. You um, mean as a business or just as a hobbyist type thing? That um, might I would say an, as a hobby, but possibly evolve into, you know, where can you take that step? But but what are some first steps as far as maybe gear, um, how to get started? What you want to, what your target subject is, your style, you know, what, what you're seeking the most, your budget. Your budget depends, determines everything. You start there and say, okay, I can spend X amount of dollars. What can I get for that that I want that, that will do effectively do what I want to do? Um, I tell you, if it's somebody that's just getting into it and hasn't really, I mean, if it's somebody with a degree, they've already got equipment. But mm-hmm. if I have a lot of people contact me on social media. How, how can I shoot good wildlife um, pictures? These Closed system point bridge cameras is what you call Mm -hmm. them. They're not a point and shoot. Like I shoot Nikon. They have a P1000, a P900 that is sealed. You don't have to change lenses. It has just about every feature that you more than you would ever use. Um, I've I've directed several people to them and they love them because you can that thing will go out to a thousand millimeters, which is you know overkill. But they can shoot the full moon, and I've seen some great full moon mm-hmm. photos. But get something that you can throw in your pack and that you will carry because if you don't have it, you will miss a shot. There is an unwritten law, and I had it happen last week. The first time the whole season I didn't carry my camera, I squeaked up a bobcat within 20 yards of me. Mm. And I was like, I, you know, I knew that would happen, and I still I got a little lazy, and I, I didn't want to get my camera wet. But Get something that you can carry that you don't mind having with you all the time. And 
find people. I was. This is stuff that was told to me. Find people on these social media lights that sites that you like their work, and study what they do. You know how. You know a lot of them are very good about giving tips. You know, really, really get out there and pick people's brain. That's. I mean, I'm not formally educated in photography. I'm self-taught, just like on a computer. I decided I wanted to do it, and I wanted to do it as well as I could. So I go to people that do it well. And um, there's a world of information out there for people. Is there a website where guys can go and or, or, or what's your Instagram page? What? How do you for uh, people to at J O V Tess J O V T E S is Instagram, and Tess Randall Jolly is Facebook. I use Dropbox now. I don't even use a website anymore. I, uh, social media puts me in contact with. Yeah, so she's had people. more covers on our Gamekeeper magazine than anybody else does. Right. More spring covers. Yeah. And you made a great point about getting a really nice point and shoot as, to a, start. as a bridge before yeah. you decide to to make the leap. I'm yeah. I'm gonna do the same. I I want to get back into it and mm-hmm. uh I don't want to get all those interchangeable lenses and stuff yet. So Yeah, a- if you're if you're you if you're thinking about carrying it with you hunting, those bridge cameras are even better because you can get a, an optic case that's kind of foam padded, throw it in your pack. Um you don't have to worry about the dust and moisture is bad. You, it's a closed system. It has great vibration reduction feature on it. You can handhold it pretty much. So Okay. I would and they're within reason on a budget. For sure. Well, thanks. That's that's good information. What is that? Are we licensed to that for to play that music? <laughs> well, I was I was actually looking at her at her Instagram. I didn't have my speaker yeah, off. Sorry. Hand, yeah, this fine Jenny. Hand. Yeah. What is an Alula? That was my trivia question. Oh, I'm not gonna answer it then. <laughs> Hurry up, let me look it up. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no fingers cheat. on it. I'm not gonna cheat. <laughs> Sorry. Well, so as a turkey, I was look, we've at. enjoyed. We could do this all day, and everybody's got. I know Toxie's got to run, but so, Richie, I'm gonna turn it over. Do you want you to talk? Let's do the Sheffield trivia question real quick. Oh mercy! <laughs> Today's trivia is brought to you by Sheffield Financial. Explore swift, effortless, and convenient financing for power sports, outdoor power equipment, and trailers, fueling your pursuits in hunting, fishing, and gamekeeping. More details at sheffieldfinancial.com. You know, Richie, I thought Toxie had recorded a new opening that we were going to be. He did the commercial, but not not the bumper. Oh, sorry. Okay. I, well, all right. Well, so, so we're real proud sorry of Sheffield. To, sorry to disappoint you again, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, Richie. So, <laughs> I'm getting used to it. I'm staying out, <laughs> I'm staying out of that. Yes, Sheffield will be at the show at the Nashville at the NWTF. They're a partner of ours. We're real proud of them. That's great. They, That's great. Guys want to buy an LS tractor or a Polaris or they, yeah, they can okay. have it financed through Sheffield. Well, we remember so, that. Yeah, we, we need we need to upgrade. You know, we, we've known <laughs> them for a long time, and they are they are you know everybody's got their field that they are the experts. In oh, that no field doubt. Right yeah, there. that's a, that's a, that's right. That's great. All, All right, right. So, today uh, uh, Tess is going to be playing for Benelli Boy 05. He left ooh. a review. Hmm. The most entertaining podcast in the outdoor space. So much personality in one place. Oh, wow. I'm talking about you, Lanny. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think it was Dudley. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, if you leave a review, you got a chance to win one of these prizes. And 
Look, these reviews are really important to us. So I would appreciate, you know, when, when y'all get done listening, if, if you like what you hear and, and you don't think we're a bunch of weirdos, can, leave us a review. It, it's, uh, it really helps. Yeah, thank you, Doug. That was right. very nice, Doug. Yeah. I'm just wondering nice what plea. they do if we, they think we are a bunch of weirdos. Uh, <laughs> just maybe, maybe that's in a that. maybe that's in a good way. You know, yeah. we're wildlife weirdos. So, because yeah. we are. Hey, there's a new one. Wildlife weirdos probably are. So, what has Benelli Boy 05 got a chance to win? Uh, he's got a chance to win a pair of Chernobyl eggs. Of what? Uh, yeah. Of what? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Eggs. They're these eggs that glow, and so trappers put them on top of their. Duke dog proof traps okay. are in the area and they glow in the dark. It's an egg that glows. I, so, I, I didn't know if that oh, was real or not. Chernobyl. Uh, you know, well, I know what Chernobil is. I know the guy that came up. Uh, Alan Horntagger Morris came up with that. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the old deer salt mineral mix ratio that mm-hmm. has been going around on the internet for years. Well, he, he developed that mix. He's, He's been a wildlife nerd uh, longer than I can remember. Yeah. Uh, wildlife so, weirdo. A wildlife weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> we Alan, a, Alan Morris, I'm, I'm yeah, sure I'll, I'll see him at NWTF next weirdo. week. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. Okay. Let's, let's move All on right. to the question. So we've got some audio for you to listen to. So this is a, so don't answer. To, you don't have to blurt out an answer because mm-hmm. we'll have some audio and then we'll have a question. Gotcha. Okay, Richie. <laughs> the blank, also called the sparrowhawk, is the smallest and most common falcon in North America, varying in size from about the weight of a blue jay to a morning dove. You may also see. Is there, <laughs> did you want an answer? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't hear a question. Well, Sparrowhawk. Well, I got an essay over here to read, though. So. No, uh, you don't. You may see a blank scanning for prey from the same perch all day long or changing perches every few minutes. A blank pounces on its prey, seizing it with one or both feet. The bird may finish off a small meal right there on the ground or carry larger prey back to the perch. During breeding season, males advertise their territory by repeatedly climbing, then diving, uttering a short series of glee calls at the top of each ascent. Courting pairs may exchange gifts of food, My usually goodness. the male. <laughs> Marty <laughs> Stauffer <laughs> over here. You, <laughs> you know the answer. No, I, I'm going to guess that... Uh, is it over? Am I supposed to guess now? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is uh, it a kestrel? It is a kestrel. Boom. She yeah. nailed it. Yeah. It's a little bitty falcon. It is. Yeah. They're Why beautiful. Why didn't you just let her answer to the sound? <laughs> she already done knew what it was, was Bobby. I, but, I mean, you know, the not, listeners may need to learn about the bird. We're trying to teach. Yes. Bro. Yes. Absolutely. We're not trying to put them to sleep. Though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how many times have y'all been sitting there on a slow dove hunt, and you look up, and you see this dove come flying, and you get your gun ready? And then you realize it's a sparrowhawk. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, little yeah. bitty cat. And the, uh, the kill deer are, can can fool you as well. That's what I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. That that oh, sounded yeah. like a kill deer. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that well. was the first thing that crossed my mind was a kill deer, but it wasn't quite the. I yeah, didn't realize yeah. that they competed for the for the cavities in trees. Oh. Kestrels do? Yeah, yeah, They're beautiful they, birds. Yeah, they need They're a cavity, a cavity dweller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get to that part of the essay. Oh, yeah. yeah no, that was at the two part. paragraphs yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Mm-hmm. I swear I don't <laughs> see as many as I used to, but that's that's just hmm. me. I don't, you know. There was a pair nesting up on the Capitol building in Montgomery that uh, Jolly filmed. 
huh. through the nesting phase. They're beautiful little birds. They are cool birds. Yeah. Jolly being your husband. Oh, yeah. Ron Jolly. Yeah. <laughs> Ron. The man. Another icon in the... In yeah, the hunting yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Ronnie. I always said Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie is uh, from way back when. Yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie. Ron Jolly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Y'all should do a, uh, y'all should, y'all should be able to do a Discovery Channel documentary by now. I would think you could do it too, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And there's a lot of uh, Native American history right there. Mm-hmm. I bet, I bet your food plots, I bet you find stuff all the time. Yeah. The, um, the plot that I spoke about earlier, that's 300 yards long. We had a, my brother, when he was alive, he had a friend who was an archaeologist and brought him down. That little high spot about a quarter mile from Kalibi Creek was a uh, Creek Indian hunting camp, satellite camp. Oh, the, cool. they, the, the main creek village was on the Tallapoosa about 10 miles away as a crow flies. And, of course, the Native Americans, I have Native American in my background, so, you know, that explains a lot about who I am. (laughs) But the first time I walked into that field, it felt different when in 87, when Dad and Mom and I moved down here with my son, and I picked up a a point. I'm sorry, I'm still on Tess's (laughs) Instagram page. Stop it. I was trying to turn it off. Stop it. (laughs) God. It's interesting how you can get that feeling, you know. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. There's been a lot since then, since I've read about what happened back there. But we, it was an ag field, so we had racing greyhounds and needed a needed long stretches to exercise them. So we made a food plot out of it, and it was it was amazing. It had been points had been picked up there for years. Our mailman's wife. Um, grew up around there, and they picked them up for years before that. She said, we got shoeboxes full of stuff out of that spot. Well, there was still a lot there, and um, I got to digging around uh, information-wise on our farm, and that vi- there was a camp there. We found stuff throughout the farm, but um, I found an atlatl banner Ooh. stone. Oh, wow. Atlatl And wave. I mean, my heart, it's like it's beating right now. Oh, I bet. When I picked it up, you know, that it was like, okay, who was the guy that just had that in his hand about a thousand years or so ago? <laughs> and it was almost intact. It's uh, the whole drilled hole is it had one chip from probably a disc or something hitting it. It's a banner, a butterfly banner stone. Have found celts, um, knives, tools, pottery, just um, a lot of, of artifacts there. And I got, uh, interested in what the history was on the farm. And um, there was a battle called the Battle of Kalibi Creek on January 14th in 1837 co- uh, that coincided with the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. The Creek Indian War was happening then, too. British uh, and the Americans were at odds, and they were using different factions of the Creek Indians in Alabama to fight for them. So they split the creeks. The creeks were fighting themselves while they were, while the Americans and the British were fighting. Uh-huh. And that was one of the downfalls of the Creek society in the South was them going with the, the two different armies. But um, I found um, spent lead ball from a 
muzzle loader. Mm. Wow. The flint from a flintlock that was locked into a flintlock rifle. Oh my god. Found a 50 caliber that had not been shot. Um there's so much history there. The old Federal Road, if you are familiar with it, it went through Mississippi, but a little south of here. That was the road that was opened up in the 1800s that went from the East Coast all the way to New Orleans. And it was a 24-foot trail that two horses could pass on for moving mail and messages and that sort of thing. Okay. And then it was widened out as the United States started pushing the Indians, buying more Indian land and, you know, widening it out, The what the Americans wanted. And, and the Indians went along with it. And they traded, actually, with white people that came through. But it, of course, we all know history, and it, that went bad and went south. But that old federal road, I have some old maps, it went through our property. Wow. And wow. I found a trade pipe in one of the food plots <laughs> and wow. bulldozed out that a potter, you know, on that. We found an old wagon wheel. So Golly. the farm that we live on connects, you know, I think God took me there for a reason because mm -hmm. my great-great-grandmother was a Cree Algonquin from Canada. And God puts you in places, and and I think that's probably one of the best parts of what Tell I me do. About it. Is, I, I can attest to that is, in a huge way. Yeah. It, it, it's just a special piece of property. I can go back there. My brother died of a sudden heart attack when he mm. was 51. I went back grieving to walk around in that plot. And, uh, you know, you'd sit in there, just show me a sign, show me a sign. I looked down and there's a little, and there's no rocks on this property that we live on. They're all brought in. There's a little quartz stone. His name was Kirk. There was a K that oh had my been etched in it from just probably the, the blades of the disc or something, a perfect K on a little smooth rock when oh, I looked down. I mean, supposed to there's, be there. a, there's a lot. Of, and why did those Native Americans, you know, they, they picked that spot because it was just above the floodplain. Um, and we, you know, people have always picked that spot, whether to plant stuff on or for me to photograph on. Look at all the things that are happening over the years on that one little spot. But the artifacts are are there, and that just makes the experience of being out there and spending those days. I mean, I take a yoga mat with me. I may spend the whole day and let the turkeys wake me up from a nap, you know. Nice. Somebody would be right like outside that. there purring, hmm. and I'll wake up. That? So uh, the, the artifacts are a big, big part of what I um, – when I'm out in the field That's is so to cool. find that kind of stuff and really reconnect with the past. Yeah. Wow. And, and the battle, according to the book by Griffin, there were two native American, two Creek Indians that had gone on a hunting scouting trip up the Creek and they spotted Colonel Floyd's uh, advanced scout group that was coming down the federal road. They went back and the 25, there were 1,500 Creek warriors surprise attacked General Floyd right on our property line in the in the Kalibi Creek battle the next morning at 5.30 in the morning. And they held them off until daylight. And then finally, the battle went all through the swamp there. And 
they pushed the Creek Indians back down to the Tallapoosa, and General Floyd dug in with his troops. He had 150 wounded guys and spent a week there healing them up enough that they can get back to Fort Decatur and go across the Chattahoochee back to Georgia. And they, he never advanced further from that for no advancement was made. So there's just, it's just an yeah. exciting piece of ground yeah. Yeah, to, to be on, to know what went on when you're sitting there. There were you know, Indians and guys fighting right around you. <laughs> there's something like that to a larger, probably smaller degree, either one, but there's, that same kind of intention you have can be for anybody's property. I mean, Absolutely. I think everybody should take some inspiration from mm. how deeply she feels about the piece of ground she's been, she's taken care of. I mean, it's not like the true statement. We really don't necessarily own it in the context no, of the whole universe. We, and we get to borrow it for a while and then, <laughs> yep. you know, be yep. responsible for it. So I just think, hope everybody heard that too, how tuned in she is to that and everybody. Same thing we talk about game game. Four acres, 400, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Have that same love of the land. That's a really, really great lesson. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she didn't know all that. She's no. researched it and found yeah. that and you'll, you'll I'm never, curious. Yeah, yeah, you'll never find it all out. No. So, you, you know, there's a lifetime, I, or however long that is, of enjoying finding out. Yeah, and uh, and I'm not leaving that much of a mark on it. But, boy, when you, when yeah, you have yeah. a piece of ground, go mm-hmm. to the, the local historian for your county and ask them for some old maps and and who owned the land and what went on on it. You would be so surprised what you can find out. I've got old soil maps. There's 17 different kinds of soils on that little farm, mm-hmm. and uh, and those are keepsakes now. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kid probably, my son probably doesn't want them, but I'm dead and gone. But I'm going to give them to somebody that does. Yeah. But there's a lot you can learn. There's a lot more to it Going than to just the archives. growing deer and turkeys. Absolutely. 100%. Well, and those Million those percent. Indians were hunting turkeys. Mm-hmm. They were scouting when they yep. um, when they ran across General Floyd's advance group. Weapons they made with their own hands. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question. We've been going a long time, so but, but then everybody needs to go. But do you think, in your opinion, all the – uh, and and Toxie, don't chime in. I don't want to hear what she has to say, please. <laughs> okay. What is your opinion on the wild hogs, wild oh. pigs, and the turkey nests? I am convinced that any blind hog could find what is that old saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah but you think one. they're affecting them, though? I do. Because, I mean, I've hunted hogs since I was that big. Um, and hogs are going to cover a lot of ground. They are ramblers. They're nomads. They go where their nose takes them for food. And they're going to randomly with, I mean, if you have a good turkey population with a lot of hens nesting and you got hogs, they're going to run across it. They may not be hunting it to start with, but they've proven in Texas that once they find a nest, they will revisit it. They've done it with artificial eggs. I did an article about all of this feral hogs and and turkeys, and they will revisit an area. They're extremely intelligent, but there's no way that hogs can't have an effect on on turkey nests because they're going to stumble onto them and they will eat anything. They will. And they eat all those little salamanders and toads along the way, too. Exactly. You know, they eat anything. So I really think if you've got hogs 
at some point they're going to run across a turkey nest. Well, one turkey nest is a is a heartbreak to lose. So y'all been trapping a bunch of pigs oh, yeah. through the years. So and that and, yeah. and so you're seeing turkeys come back. You think mm-hmm. there's a correlation there? It's, I think that and and predators catching those coons and possums and keeping hogs in control. You got to do all the other stuff, but if you don't keep those two under control, those hens, that is such a a, a big blow to their success is fur bearers and and pigs right and pigs i mean i we had 25 visiting that field that i photograph in the whole month of december 14 little footballs little squealers with two sows and the rest all big hogs and and they're both they're pregnant you're looking at you know an animal that you can't get totally rid of nope I mean, they're going to so, eat first and ask questions later. They don't really care. And they care. will eat anything. Right. And they're even, meat eaters. Even if they don't eat the nest, they're probably going to step all over it anyway. Because, no. I mean, they will ruin the entire area that they're so, inhabiting. They, they ruin so, nesting habitat. For sure. You don't maybe see it in those um, uh, native areas. But if you get out and walk around in them, they're out there rooting for roots and worms. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. It, it, unless it's just like they'll go into a cornfield and they'll go to the center and work their way around. You won't know they're in there if you're not driving the perimeter every day and checking yeah. yep. or doing a drone run. They will ruin a few. They did that to our cornfields. We can't plant corn or chufa now. No. We haven't. For seven years now, that's gone mm. because you won't get it back either. You won't. Mm. I, I, that heart, that breaks my heart not being able to plant chufa. Uh, the only thing I've known for if you. Build a hog wire fence around something for cheaper, but you you mm-hmm. won't be able to. The deer are going to eat the corn too. We completely quit. We used to be able to grow corn for ducks, but we can't even do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. hogs have changed everything for us completely. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. actually I, I wouldn't want to say something about them. I just didn't want to even think about it because it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mean to put a depression spin, oh but I God. wanted your what, what y'all you've are got to collaborate with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. We've got neighbors that trap also. That has helped us so much. Good for you, well, they they are all collaborating i think one point I, I hope our listeners are picking up is that your farm is not a big giant couple of, you're, you're managing a couple of hundred acres and you're doing it the right way and you're you're seeing results and you're working with your neighbors as you just mentioned so that's critical yeah. if you if you're 200 acre farm and you don't have neighbors that you can that are like-minded you know we live in the country so we don't have close we've got you know a little retired couple up here but we've got a highway on one side so we've got three sides they're both big landowners we all have the same like-minded yeah you know and that's that's where you've really got to get out and try to you know be neighborly Mm -hmm. know your neighbors you know be nice to them take them a gamekeepers magazine and sit down and talk i mean we did that with our neighbor you know when he moved in took him one of our books and took him a a magazine said, "Look, you know this is this is what we need to be doing." Great advice. Yeah. yeah. Well, Miss Tess, we just we're so uh, we honored. Yeah, honored. Hey, I'm honored to be That's here, it. y'all. <laughs> we're, we're big fans. There's so much uh, respect. I mean, so much. Well, I respect everything you all do. Every one of you have your gifts, and you. Yeah, you know, all these guys we're not even looking at here. Absolutely. Everybody, it's a team effort. You know, people say, oh, I like what you do. I said, you know, it's a team effort. You cannot, nobody nobody is absolute in what they do. They all have help. And 
God helps us all. Yes, he does. He does. You're a breath of fresh air. That's and and right. I'm, I'm glad you made the trip up here. Well, I and, appreciate it. And we are so proud of our relationship with you and then and so proud of what you do. So thank you. Guys, we learned a lot here. I know it. And the main thing I learned, the point I wrote down early on, is you don't have to shoot every turkey you call up. Are you going to do it this year, Bobby? I I think you should make a pledge, Bobby, that you're not going to shoot the first two turkeys you call up this year. I probably won't get to do that anyway. (laughs) Yeah, you probably won't. Yes, ma'am. Do I get to ask a trivia question? Oh, Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, go. Whatever your heart desires. uh, It's real quick. I mean, I just, if you all are ready to get done, what causes, what's responsible for the iridescence in a turkey's feather that we love so much that just hypnotizes us every oh, spring? We should what, know this. How do you, how does it? Dudley? What's responsible? <laughs> uh, you know, I was going to just Fos- throw a huge net and say, God. <laughs> there we go. That's Nailed that's, it. That would actually be true. <laughs> overall, you are correct. But drilling down to earthly things. Right. On the turkey. So it's like a substance. Is that what you're asking? Like I'm asking you. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't See, learn I'm that in forestry stumping school. Stumping us. I had. I just had to know. Phosphorus. Yeah. <laughs> it's Phosphorus. um. Hmm. There are you know you have pigments in the feather. Okay. You have your barbules that come off the sh- the shaft, and then there's little bar um smaller ones, and and they velcro together. Well, in those barbules are pigments. The color that, you know, they have different colors. Um, most of it is melanin, which is black. The They also have crystals in those feather barbules. And depending on the colors in the pigments, when light refracts off of it, some of the wavelengths, light wavelengths are allowed through and some are blocked. So, as light is refract, refracted off, the different colors in those barbules, those crystals, refract that light. So that just like a, like a prism. Mm-hmm. Wow. But they're little tiny crystal particles in that feather. Well, guess what? Same concept as a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think wow. about it. So, Got it work. Yep. Yeah. Got it work. About the, yes, the, the, Learn something new every day. <laughs> The magic, the magic of a rainbow. Guess what? We feel the same way about our turkey. So yeah, Rob was uh, Rob. I see you back there. Um, he sent me a photo of a duck from. Uh, I guess that was around the Chesapeake Bay. Or okay, yeah, he's nodding. And uh, it was some of the coolest iridescence I've ever yeah. seen. And uh, he sent it to several people. And that's what was interesting is everybody's answer was, you know, how can you not believe in a God when you've Oh, a hundred percent. I look at it as God winking at me. Yeah. When those yeah. fre- when those feathers like flash at you, it's like he's saying, hey. I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> that's yeah. right. I like her attitude. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're, uh, it's, I think everybody's hungry. I'm I hungry. Think, yeah, yeah, I'm starving. <laughs> we are. Sure. I, my yeah. stomach was growling over here. That was great. And thank you so hey, much. Yeah, thank thanks for you. being here and what you do. No thank doubt you. about it. Thank you for Keep all leading day. by example. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Thank you. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.